Welcome in to another School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello, joined by Adam and Chris, as always, as we get into, I guess, our first review preview of the season, as we have a couple games under our belt here, um, and look forward to a game that will be um, playing over the weekend against Aston Villa. But first off, guys, how you doing today? Uh, not not too many complaints. I mean, Everton can uh, go top of the table with uh, three points tomorrow, right? They, you know, hard to be upset about that. It's all about arbitrary end points, right? <laughs> That's right. We won't mention that we'll have played more games than everyone else in the league. When you're top of the table, you're top of the table. Hey, as Everton fans, you take what you can get. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's very, very true. And we'll take, uh, especially uh, in a game against Aston Villa, which we'll talk about in a little bit, we'll take um, we'll take three points there any day of the week. But let's get into last week's game first and talk a little bit about our game versus Watford. Um, just a little review of that. Finished one nothing. Bernard scored a 10th-minute goal that ended up being the winner. Another clean sheet. Um, a lot to talk about um, in, in terms of, I guess, that type of stuff. But first off, with the clean sheet, let's talk about, you know, the partnership between Yerry Mina and Michael Keane. It's looked pretty good so far. Um, no goals in two games. Obviously, that's not a great sample size. But, Chris, we'll start it off with you here. How do you feel about this partnership uh, between Keane and Mina? And do you have any concerns? I feel really good about it on the field. I think they've – I mean, it certainly helped that Mina has been around the team for quite a while now. They've kind of stepped into the partnership seamlessly on the field. My one concern is still remains that Mina has quite a history of injury problems. And frankly, you know, Michael Keane is, has kind of a durable reputation, but he has been susceptible to some freak injuries in his Everton career as well. You know, you think about the – fractured skull the infected foot it's kind of a these these two guys both of them it would not surprise me if they went down at various points during the season so that's really my only concern but in terms of actual performance uh a plus yeah i mean hard to argue with no goals against right um and i think i've I've touched on a little bit in in various posts uh on the site over the last couple of weeks, but I think that there's also a lot of reason to feel good about um, their distribution out of the back, certainly more in the first half against Watford than in the second half. I thought in the second half Watford stepped up their pressure a little bit and it caused problems for for everybody on Everton, the center backs included, but obviously um, Yerry Mina is a guy who was once favored by Barcelona, so you know uh, he's if he's a center back, he knows how to pass the as the ball. And I think Michael Keane's distribution last year was maybe the, the biggest stride that he made, you know, of, of any skill. And I think if we're going to continue to see Silva focus a little bit more on, on trying to keep possession and, and build up that way, that's going to be really important. Um, I do also think that we do just have to be a little careful with, um, just how high we get on on Mina and Keane and the defense as a whole. Um, the two teams that Everton has uh, shut out, Crystal Palace and, and Watford, um, remain the only two teams in the Premier League who haven't scored a goal yet. So it's not like they uh, <laughs> they went in their other games and lit it up, as it were. But overall, you know, you, you can only play the, the teams that are on the schedule. And I think Keenan. Uh, Keen and Mina, Tina and Mean. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> Keen and Mina uh, have have both shown really well so far. Oh, and to your point about the distribution, Mina in particular, you could visibly tell in the first half against Watford on Saturday that Silva wanted to play through that kind of left side of Mina, Gomez, and Digne, and it really gave Watford all kinds of problems, not the least of which was the goal. But those three guys are just technically superior to pretty much anything that these early opponents have been able to roll out. Yeah. And I think that Mina, especially um, his distribution will continue to, to be something I think that, that Silva focuses on again, like I said, I think Keen has come a long way in his, in his distribution. Um, But at the end of the day, he's never going to be what Mina is moving the ball. Um, so I think that's something that we'll continue to look for. And I think we won't necessarily see it this week, but I'll be interested to see 
when Everton starts facing teams who bring a little bit more pressure consistently, um, as Watford did in the second half, how do those guys fare? Because it was um, tough sledding. And, you know, there were obviously issues in the midfield and all sorts of issues um, with the injuries and suspensions and all uh, against Watford in the second half. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see the extent to which they can continue to develop that and build off the, the good that we saw in this match. Oh, the other thing that may be worth noting about the defensive uh, prowess so far is that Jordan Pickford has been outstanding. I know, you know, it is obviously that small sample size, but he's made some incredible saves, hasn't given up a goal, and generally looks so much more confident back there than he did, say, middle of last year, which has a big effect on the defense, of course. Yeah, and really, you know, he hasn't been asked to do a ton, um, really. In, in each game, he's come up with one big save. You know, the defense has made one crucial error in front of him, uh, and at at the the moment of truth, he stepped up and he's delivered. And, you know, if you've got a good defense in front of you, which I think, you know, we can agree that, that he does at this point, it's going to be making that, that one save sometimes that's going to be the difference between winning and losing or winning and drawing, because that might be the only thing he's really got to do all game. Um, and it speaks to his focus and his maturity that he's been able to step up in that one big moment after, you know, potentially a long period and not having to do anything. Yeah. And, you know, there's something to be said for just that staying focused when you're not seeing a lot of shots and then coming up in the big, coming up big when you're called upon. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's um, it's been nice not having any goals scored against us for the two first two it's games, fun. no matter who we play. It is fun. <laughs> it is enjoyable. Uh, that is for sure. But like you guys said, it's going to be interesting when once we actually play teams who, you know, pose, I guess, a little bit more of a goal threat. Uh, but for now, we'll take. Like you said, what what is given to us on the schedule, um, and we'll see where we can go from there, and you know, hopefully, continue the success defensively. Uh, let's look a little bit more offensively now and moving forward. Let's look at the partnership between Bernard and Digne. It, it it's been effective a lot of times. It's been you know a pretty solid partnership, and, and was very effective for the goal on Saturday. Are you guys scared to break that up to get a Wobi into the side? Adam, we'll go to you first on this. Um, yeah, a little bit. Uh, I think you have to be. Um, you know, obviously, I think that with Bernard, um, the knock on him has certainly been um, that, you know, whatever he, he does creatively, which it can be anywhere from pretty good to, to incredible, um, He's generally not been a guy who's put the ball in the back of the net a whole lot. Um, and certainly last year, that was, was something that came into focus because we didn't exactly have a striker who was knocking in the goals regularly. Now, maybe with Moise Keane in the lineup, you know, that, that changes and, and you don't need that as much. Um, but there's something to be said for the chemistry between those two players. And again, especially if you're going to look to play a little bit more through possession and I, which I think they have to because you can't you can't play the high press the the way that they did with with Ghana out the door uh you have to be at least a little bit hesitant to to break up what's been your best creative duo for you know uh, the better part of half a season now Chris Yeah um I I guess my my one counterpoint would be I don't know that Bernard has been kind of quite as effective as he looks like he's being. Cause if you look at the, the output, um, statistically over the last, most of last season and then early this year, he did have the goal, obviously, but his, his key passes aren't great. I mean, his dribbling is very good, but I, I understand that there is some value between what he's got going on with Lucas and I, I think that's good, but I don't know that based on what we know about it, it, it I guess it, let me put it this way. It's more of an Awobi thing than a Bernard thing. Because what we know about Alex Awobi's ability as a Premier League player far surpasses Bernard's, and I think that's you're going to have to put that in the lineup sooner rather than later. Yeah, and I think um, we spoke to it a little bit in the projected eleven post um, this week that I don't think it's something that we look to see immediately, 
But I, I do have to wonder. Iwobi has played a little bit um, at the ten in in his career. Um, if Bernard continues to play well, you know I, I like Gilfie Sigurdsson, and I'm definitely a Sigurdsson defender. And I think that some of the the things that we've not seen from Sigurdsson over the last season have had more to do with Silva style than his shortcomings. But you do have to wonder at a certain point if Bernard produces with Dinya out left, does it will be get a shot in the center of it in a way that puts Gilfie to the bench? You know, and who knows, you know, Gilfie's capable of going off and dropping a hat trick at any point and then I look like an idiot for even suggesting it. Um, but at the moment, it's something that is on my mind going forward because again, the production from Bernard, if it's there, um, makes you have to at least think twice about what you're going to do out on that left wing. It's certainly worth watching. The one thing that I would say is that um, I don't think that Iwobi has the same defensive contribution that Gilfie does. And in the way that we've seen Marco Silva like to play, that's pretty crucial, particularly with uh, obviously Gay no longer there. But who knows? Uh, It could be a way to get, uh, you know, if Iwobi comes in and starts firing goals into the net or whatever, you may want to get him on the field with Bernard and that could be a way to do it. Yeah, I I think with the Iwobi situation, it's one of those things where, you know, I I understand the uh, partnership. I'm kind of, you know, with Chris's um, counterpoint in the sense that I'm not really sure if what we're seeing from Bernard is what we're going to get you know, I, I think Bernard is good and has done a good job with Dinier and, and has, you know, created a good partnership with him. But I'm also on the side of thinking, you know, what could happen if, if we put a Wobi in that position as well and, and seeing what could happen there and seeing what kind of chemistry can be built there. Um, you know, I, I'm, I think I'm less scared just to see, um, you know, what a Wobi can offer to the team, at least give him a shot in there. Um, and if, you know, we have to move things around and change things around to fit the style Silva wants to play and whatnot, I, I think, you know, you know, that's a good problem to have probably. Um, you know, if we have players that can fit in different positions and, and can play, um, you know, all around the field and, and, you know, we can mix and match, I guess you could say, based on like who we're playing each week. Um, <laughs> moving on to the final point here on specifically this game. Let's talk about Richarlison. Um, you know, first off, is there anything wrong with Richarlison right now? You know, on the one hand, he hasn't looked great at all, but he is averaging almost four shots per 90. What do you guys see from him? Maybe something he's um, doing on the field, or maybe it's just, you know, you've seen, you know, some articles relating to him, you know, shouldering a lot of, you know, a, a lot of the team's success on himself and and you know when the team doesn't play well he takes it on himself pretty hard what do you what do you guys think it is with Richarlison if you even think he's playing you know poorly so far Chris we'll start off with you I I do think he's played pretty poorly and I know that uh he you know he was substituted out during the, the Watford game and maybe maybe you had a, a factor there of you know he's playing his old team trying to prove himself or the manager that has shown an obscene amount of faith in him through his very short career. Um, the, the turnovers have been an issue. You know, the passing is, is what it is. It's not, it's not going to get much better, I'm afraid, but you know, Richarlison just can't get anything to come off right now to, to put it in kind of simple terms. And it seems like he's trying too hard and maybe, you know, maybe a game or two with it when Iwobi gets fit on the bench, just watching and the game at a different pace would be helpful but Everton are not going to go very many places if Richarlison is playing the, keeps playing the way that he has been. And so that, that's kind of a concern. Uh, I, I think I'm probably a little less concerned. Uh, Richarlison, I think by his very nature as a player is always going to be a feast or famine type guy. Um, he's, he's not going to give you a whole lot creatively. He's not uh, a super effective defensive forward as it were, um, dude gets into good places, makes good runs, and puts the ball in the back of the net. Um, you know, that's well, yeah, that's his we... game. Um, and there, there haven't – I think it is natural when you have a player of that archetype, for better or worse, uh, that you're going to see 
runs like this from him, and I think we saw runs from him uh, like this last season too. If it goes on another two or three games, especially given the quality of Everton's early opponents, um, then we can talk again, and, and I'll be more concerned. Uh, over two games for him to, you know, do Richarlison stuff, you know, look a little, you know, frustrated off the ball and all this other stuff. I haven't seen anything that strikes me as outside kind of the norm of what I expect from him. And, and part of that is then that I expect that, you know, he'll come out this week and somebody will put a ball in his foot in the box and he'll rip it up or 90 and we'll all forget that we even had this conversation. <laughs> Yeah, the one thing that does kind of bear noting is, you know, those two really big chances against Watford where I think mm-hmm. it was Sigurdsson both times just placed the ball right on his dome. It, you know, nobody's around him, and he didn't hit the net either time, um, if memory serves correctly. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm looking I'm looking on understat here now. One of those chances was 0.3 XG, which, Adam, you can maybe explain this better, but from my understanding, you know, you're supposed to score that chance three out of every ten times. And he didn't even hit the net, so. Yeah, uh, and I mean, that uh, that chance obviously is something that you expect for him to do better um, with. But the sample size just remains so small for me. And, you know, like I said, I think that nothing, even including that miss, which, you know, happens sometimes, uh, that I've seen from him strikes me as particularly out of the norm for the player who he is. Now, as much as I like the guy, there are things about him at times, his attitude, his creative play, all that, that I I wish were different so that we could talk about other things that I want to see him doing out there. Um, But the reality is he's not that guy. We know the guy who he is. And the thing about the guy who he is, is that when he misses a chance or two, he's going to look real bad because that's really what he's out there for is put the ball in the back of the net. Well, and the, yeah. And the other thing too, is he, he gets on the end of more of those chances than anybody else. And that's a skill in and of itself, right? Yes. You know, you're not, when Theo Walcott comes on, you're not seeing him miss two wide open headers because he didn't get wide open twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Now, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not really sure of the answer to this question off the top of my head. Maybe you guys would know this better. Did he have a full preseason? No, I mean, he spent most of his summer with Brazil at the uh, South American Championships, the Copa America, and then had a couple of weeks off before joining up with Everton. And, you know, I think he only played in two or three of their six or seven preseason games. So that that's okay. a, that's definitely a good point. I mean, he's he's not quite as fit as everybody else out there. And I think that, you know, Alex Awobi played at the African Cup of Nations for Nigeria and made the semifinals. So kind of on a very similar summer schedule to Richarlison. And you see, you know, he's being taken care of with kid gloves, and Richarlison's had to been thrown right right back into the mix just because of the roster situation. Yeah, I think that you know maybe that has a, a little bit to do with it too. But you know, I, it's good to see that he's getting on the end of these chances. But like you guys said, you hope he does better. But two weeks two weeks in, not too worried, not too worried yet. Um, you know, ask me in a couple weeks and. That answer may change. Um, but you know, I think the fact that he's just getting on the end of these chances, like you guys said, is important in itself. Um, and you know, you just hope that now he just is, you know, controlling them and putting them in the back of the net like he should be. Uh, let's move on now to kind of looking at, at things as a whole here two weeks in and let's look at, uh, you know, a player who recently came in a team and speaking of, um, guys who kind of gotten thrown into the fire here. Uh, <laughs> JPG is, you know, he's got, he's got a good frame, big, he's a big guy, got thrown into things here pretty quickly after, uh, Andre Gomes, uh, got injured in the first game against Crystal Palace. What encouraging signs have you seen from him? Uh, you know, how was his role next to Andre Gomes and how, how does he fit in there? Um, and, you know, is this the duo that we see moving forward or will we see more of a trio that includes Fabian Delph, who has yet to play a game uh, in Everton Jersey yet? Um, yeah. What do you guys what do you guys think of that, Adam? We'll go to you first. Um, I, I think 
what I have been impressed with outside of the fact that he's an absolute fucking unit um, <laughs> is that a lot of his passing attempts have not come off. His pass completion percentage is, is not great. I think you can see that the vision is there and there have been times when he's looked up and tried to complete a pass where I've, I've said usually to, to Chris, you know, Ghana doesn't see that pass. Ghana doesn't even try to make that pass. So the fact that he's got the vision to read the field and see this is a spot where I need to switch the field or this is a spot where I've got to spring a guy quick um, is encouraging. You know, the, the impression that we all kind of got from the scouting report from when he came over from Germany was that he is usually a guy who can also complete that pass in addition to just seeing it, which obviously only seeing it doesn't get you very far. Um, as as we've just just talked about, he's another guy who, you know, missed a, a fair bit uh, of the preseason with the timing of his transfer and and being on national team duty. Um, so I'm not super concerned about him so far. He's another guy that if he gets another two or three games worth of good time and continues to to see to see some of the turnover issues that we've had and, and some of the failure to complete the passes that he's clearly seeing. Well, you know, then, then we have to start thinking about, okay, is, is this a problem? Um, for now, I, I suspect he and, and Andre Gomez remains um, Silva's long-term plan in, in midfield with a, a two and with, with Gilfi in front of them. And I think we can kind of see the skills that, that he has that makes that a, a natural fit. Um, but we just need to see them come together and that's going to take time. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's way too early to be super concerned. You know, he, JPG was at the African cup of nations as well for Ivory coast. And so the fitness is, is surely an issue there. I, I kind of, I'm a big fan of players who, have these, you know, viral moments for lack of a better term. You know, it's one of the reasons I, I love Gerard De Feo because of his ridiculous step overs and ability to beat men one on one. And um, then cross it into their shins. Well, you know, we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> but, but, uh, mm-hmm. with, you know, with JPG on Saturday, he had a moment where he, he went into a contest, a 50 50 ball with Troy Dini, who is, who's a pretty stout lad. I don't know if you guys know that, but, you know, he's, <laughs> He's not a <laughs> Drake, as it were. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's not a small guy. And JPG just bumped him off the ball like he he weighed eighty pounds, like he was a seven year old. And I was like, okay, I think I think we can work with this. Yeah, you can't um, you cannot teach size <laughs> or strength. Um, and and he's got that. Um, I think there have been one or two moments um when he's exhibited also not only reasonable speed. Um, but speed on the ball and ability to carry the ball forward, um, which again is, is something that you don't get from, from Idrissa Gay. It's something that you don't get from Morgan Schneiderlin, who is a player who I still like and, and think has a place in this team in, in one fashion or another. Um, so that's very in, encouraging. It's just a matter of connecting the little moments that we've seen where we've gone, Oh, Oh, yup. I see. I see what, what Marcel saw. I get it. Um, and connecting those with m- more good moments instead of the turnovers and the bad passes and all of that. Right. Well, and, and let's be clear, size and strength do not a player make, but when you combine that size and that strength with the vision that you can see and the ability to carry the ball through the midfield without turning it over, then you start to think, hmm, yep, pretty good player in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and credit to him. He's played, you know, he played what basically the entire second half against Palace, um, and he went the whole, he went the distance uh, this this week against Watford as well, uh, if memory serves. And the team yeah, has not did. yet conceded a goal. Um, so obviously, you know, we talked about Keane and and Mina earlier, and, and credit to them, and obviously to Pickford and the fullbacks and and all that. But you know, you, you have to give credit to the central midfielders as well. Um, he's gotten thrown into a situation where he was playing, you know, he's already partnered in the center of midfield with Morgan Schneiderlin, Tom Davis, and Andre Gomes, uh, over the course of a game and a half. And he's managed not to make such an egregious mistake that it's led to a goal and, and, 
has has helped to keep some of the pressure off of the center backs. So a lot of that stuff doesn't necessarily draw the eye as quickly as some of the very good things he's done and the very not so good things he's done. But you have to give some credit for a guy who's who's played more minutes than not in that role on a team that hasn't given up a goal yet. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there are some positives and some negatives to the way he's played so far. Obviously, um, he, like you said, he hasn't given, he hasn't given up any goals yet or been part of a, um, a mistake that led to a goal. So that's obviously a solid start. He's put in some good tackles. He, you know, he's had some good ideas. So, you know, obviously there's positives to look forward to and, um, still need to give him some time here to kind of get his feet underneath him and, and he was one of the, he was one, he was a player that himself said that he, um, before he got thrown in everything, the, uh, in, in week one against Crystal Palace, that he wasn't sure if he was just ready yet. And, and, you know, we still need to give him some time, uh, to kind of get his feet under him. But, you know, you guys mentioned the passing. Any other things that you were discouraged by, um, you know, watching him out there in the first two games? Uh, you know, anything, you know, jump I, out I- of you? I think just the, you know, there's been a couple times where it's been a fairly simple pass that he's missed, um, you know, dawdling on the ball a little bit for lack of a better term and getting it taken off of him. But I'm, I'm hesitant to be too critical of that because from, you know, from sitting on my couch watching on my TV thousands of miles away, those types of things look like an issue of, of nerves and anxiety. You know, he, he's trying so hard not to mess up that he messes up. Yeah, and, and I'll be honest, I was a little surprised, um, and the turnovers were more an issue in the second half um, against Palace uh, than at any point really against Watford, and obviously, again, first game nerves and all that, um, but to see him, you know, succumb to, to pressure on the ball, having come from uh, playing in the Bundesliga, where, you know, you're certainly not uh, <laughs> unfamiliar playing against teams that, that look to press high and and win the ball off holding midfielders. So he shouldn't be, uh, he shouldn't be caught off guard by the pace of this league given where he is coming from. Um, so I, I'm less concerned about some of those mistakes than I would be if he was a guy coming from, you know, Turkey or Scandinavia or wherever else. Um, because I know he's been successful in a league that is pretty comparable to the Premier yeah. League, uh, especially if you're playing in that role. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right there, Adam, with that. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how things play out here as we move forward, see how he gets, uh, you know, maybe a little bit better and, and starts to kind of, you know, get that chemistry with the other players in the field and and start to, you know, take the pressure on a little bit more um, and, and a little bit better. but. Let's look at the other um, one of our signings who's gotten a, a run out in the last couple games, and it's it's Moise Keane, and you know he has he has been impressive. I think in, in at least in one of the games that we've seen him play uh, against Watford, he's done some pretty cool things. That's for sure. Is it time? Is it time to put him in that starting lineup? And uh, you know. If so, what does he bring that's different from, you know, a DCL or a Tosun? Well, he, uh, he, he is just so much more dangerous on the ball anytime he's in or around the box than anything that, that Schenk or Dom bring. And, and I like both Schenk and Dom. But there's there's a fear that he strikes into the hearts of opposing defenders when he's on the ball. And we've seen it both um, facing up to goal, you know, going at, at goal with the ball in his feet and also with his back to goal turning defenders. And I think that uh, the, the one play he had against Watford where he he turned a defender and, and nearly scored from the top of the box was not necessarily something um, that I immediately would have thought of as as being in his locker. Um, so that was very, very exciting to see. Um, as to whether or not it's time to unleash him, uh, I think part of it part of it has to do with just getting him acclimated, and, and that's all well and good. Um, but I think another important component is that, again, as we see Everton kind of look to potentially shift from a style 
that very much fit Dominic Calvert-Lewin's play style last year with a lot of running and, and not necessarily being on the ball a lot and, and looking to press into to something a little more possession-based where they can get Keen on the ball and let him do the dangerous, wacky shit that he is evidently capable of. Uh, you've got to have the rest of the team playing in a way that that allows him to use those strengths. And if you're still getting uh, Gabamin up to speed, and if you're not getting Awobi into the lineup yet, and if Lukadin isn't at, at 100%, uh, then you're not necessarily in a position where you can really look to full-on play that possession style. And if you can't, then you don't want to put a new signing, a young guy, into your lineup if you know that you're going to have to play a way that doesn't really play to his strengths. So I, I kind of expect that we'll see Calvert-Lewin get to start again this week um, you know, because I don't think that we'll see Iwobi get the go, and I think we're still kind of seeing a transitionatory Everton. Um, but long term, I mean, he's already proven in, in some of the limited touches that he's gotten in the two games. He's a guy who's going to be worth the price of admission going forward. I, I, I agree that I think he's going to be worth the price of admission going forward. I mean, when, as Adam indicated, when Keane gets near the 18-yard box, it's kind of like when your number three or number four hitter in baseball comes up with men in scoring position. You're just like moving towards the edge of your couch, moving towards the edge of your couch, and I'm standing up now. What's he going to do? Uh, my my concern about throwing him into the lineup is that the guy has played 1,700 minutes over the last three years, and this is from this is club only, but you know that's basically 570 some odd minutes per season. He does not have a lot of experience being tossed into the starting lineup and you know starting five, six, seven games in a row in the same way that Calvert Lewin does. And I think on legs of his age, that could negatively affect his his effectiveness and then you know you negatively affect his his playing and that starts to eat into his development a little bit so i i do think that given the other options at the position care is is a good thing you know there's no reason to rush yeah i i agree with you guys on that i think that you know it, it's good it, it'll be nice to see you know obviously you know especially us as everton fans when we see someone like this come and, and come to our, come to our squad and, and get in there and do the things they're doing. You, you want to rush him forward. But I think the right move here is like you guys said to kind of give him some time. You know, there's a lot of things that he's getting accustomed to. Um, obviously playing consecutive game, like a bunch of consecutive games, you know, 90 minutes consecutively. That's going to be tough as well. I think it's better for his overall production and his progression, uh, as years go by that we kind of work him in here patiently um and, and get him up to speed before we really throw him into anything um too crazy just because he's clearly can he clearly can help us off the bench right now and, and has made an impact in some areas um and and i think it's right just force progression to just give him time moving forward um now let's before we get into you know the the villa preview let's talk a little bit about this 18 man squad that we're going to see um week in and week out you know when everyone gets healthy Everton's going to have I believe about 23 players who have you know a pretty solid argument to be in the first team or get get some sort of playing time with the first team and, and that's you know and obviously a good thing to have because we have you know early cup rounds and and other things that we have to get to um but Silva He's going to have some hard decisions. If you are Marco Silva, and and Chris, we'll start with you, what five players are you leaving out of this 18-man PL squad on a regular basis? So it's kind of interesting, right? Because one of the criticisms of Everton for a long time has been that they have a bloated squad and and they we got too many players and need to shed some wages. And I, I think that's kind of still the case because w- when I'm putting this list together, I'm not including um, – Kevin Morales or Yannick Bellassi, who I think are the only two left now that McCarthy and Besic both um, went to Sheffield and Palace respectively. I I don't have a lot of hopes for Leighton Baines getting much playing time moving forward, considering that Fabian Delph is as good of a left back as he is a central midfielder. I think Tom Davis is going to have a really hard time getting on the field. 
Theo Walcott as Alex Awobi gets moving forward is going to have a hard time. And then, you know, after that, obviously Martin Stecklenburg is just there for the training sessions and hopefully we'll only see Mason Holgate's number 30 when he takes off his training bib to run the sprint after the game because he didn't get to play. Holgate's two now, right? Did I, did I imagine that? Uh, it's, it's, it's been a long week. He is too. That's correct. <laughs> I'm like, Oh God, don't, don't tell me that I'm having, no, I'm having legitimate nightmares about Mason Holgate. Well, cause I mean, that seems like a thing that would happen to me. So I just wanted to make let, sure. Let me, let me just interject that Everton have done some ridiculous things to the squad numbers the oh last few years. Mason Holgate had number 30. Morgan Schneiderlin had two. Then Richarlison had 30. Schneiderlin still had Schneiderlin moved to 18. Holgate went to two. Richarlison went to seven. Can we, can we stop? Oh my God. The first, the first projected 11 that Chris and I put together this year for the Palace game, I was like, wait, what, what's Andre wearing now? What's, what's Richarlison wearing now? Did Bernard change? Oh, Dom is nine now. It's, it's awful. I don't just recommend wait, Just wait until Alex Awobi, you know, Struts out there wearing a Drissa Gay's number. That won't be confusing at all. Oh, shit. You're right. They did give him 17. Yeah, I'm done. Mm-mm. That's not going to go great for me. <laughs> um, so to answer the question about, uh, you know, the five guys that I would kind of expect to not see regularly, I, I think me and Chris's lists are probably mostly the same. Um, going back to front, I think Stecklenberg's an obvious one because you're not going to dress three goalies. Uh, I, I agree. I think Bainsey is, is probably one. Um, Tom Davis is one. I, I want so, so desperately to include Mason Holgate on this list. So I want nothing more in my life than to say we don't need to put Mason Holgate in the 18. Um, and I think, you know, the idea is hopefully that, that Jean-Philippe can play center back if called upon. And we've got a plethora of central midfielders with, uh, you know, with presumably Andre and, and JPG as the normal pairing, but that you could slide Delfer Schneiderlin in there and, and be okay if JPG had to drop back. So I'm going to mostly, uh, because it will help me sleep better, I'll put Holgate on my list, and I think the last one's probably Shankto soon, um, just because you don't need three strikers um, in your match day 18, uh, especially when you've got Bernard, or excuse me, when you've got Richarlison and Walcott, uh, both presumably in the 18, at least in my eyes. Um, hard to, to see a reason why you include Tosun, um, who can only play striker, uh, over one of those other guys who could play both out wide or up top. Yeah, I, I could totally see where you're coming from there, Adam. And, you know, I, I think, you know, that last, I think for the most part, we can all agree on, you know, Bain's not getting playing time. Um, Steck's probably not being in there much. Davies not being in there too much, but. You know, when you get down to that last player or two, things get to be a little bit hard because you got to look at who's necessary and who's not. And as, as much as we want to keep Mason Holgate out, I think that, you know, we're probably going to need to have an extra center back on the bench nope. just to mm-hmm. the. Nope. 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 I'm going to just have a childlike tantrum here. Just no, you're wrong. <laughs> I don't have any rational explanation well, for it, but nope. Mm-mm. You're wrong. Do you, nope. do, you guys know how, do you guys know how fast I looked up if uh, Sadibe had ever played center back before when we signed him? <laughs> oh my God. And they put it, and they put Holgate in it right back when Dinya got hurt against Watford. And he it's was almost so like, bad. It was it's a, 15 minutes. He was only in the game for 15 minutes, and it felt like it was the entire second half because any time the ball got near him, I had to hide under my couch. It's, it's almost like we have to keep Holgate out just so Silva can save himself from himself. Yeah, like, because he's, like, well, he's just going to start throwing him on the field for random people. And, you know, if, if, you're, if you're in a situation where you have him on the bench and one of your center backs gets hurt and you assume Nick Bauman is, is, is in the midfield. Your temptation is to say, I don't want to screw up my midfield, uh, assuming that 
things are going well in the midfield. Let me bring on Mason Holgate to play center back so I don't have to disrupt my midfield. And I am all for not disrupting your midfield. But more than that, I am for defenders who know how to defend. And the thing about Mason Holgate is he's not that. (laughs) (laughs) The biggest thing with Holgate that that kills me is is the passing. It's like, dude, that was five yards in front of you. And, you know, it goes out of bounds and whoever the teammate in front of him is, is just standing there with his hands out, kind of like pointing at the ground, you know, that move that they always do, looking up and pointing at the ground. (laughs) That happens to him ten times a game. Well, and and again, if we're talking about an Everton team that we want uh, that we want to see or that we think to be successful, has to play a little bit more possession based, has to play out of the back a little bit more. Is is there a world where you can live with Mason Holgate there? Because uh, I, I don't think that there is. Uh, I, that's a serious serious problem if you're trying to play possession based football and and you've got a guy playing center back who can't pass when there's nobody on the other team around him. And when pressure comes on him, he just kicks the ball into space, which I mean is better than turning it over. But uh, I, I joke about Holgate a lot, and I know it's become a, a bit that we do. Um, and I, I appreciate the bit. But in reality, I think the the issues that we've had with Holgate in the past as we continue to see a team that looks to build out of the back, only become magnified. I, I've, I've got some analytics for you. Are you ready? Oh, God. Okay. Uh, Mason Holgate against Watford completed two of seven passes. <laughs> <laughs> two of seven. You and I could complete two of seven passes in a Premier League. I, I mean, I, I, I can I could you're gonna at least hit on a couple of five yarders just out of sheer luck. Just like and he was playing right back. It wasn't even like he was at center back. Uh, oh, I could <sighs> I could easily I could hoof it back to Jordan Pickford twice a game. No problem. Yeah. Do that. At least Pickford <laughs> knows how to pass a ball. I was gonna All say right. I have completely derailed this so badly, and I'm it's, sorry. It's but... it's on to Aston Villa. It's on, we're on to Cincinnati. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, we yeah, we we yeah, we need we need to move on from that, uh, you know, get into Aston Villa, um, you know, maybe cool things down a little bit over here as we get a little uh, <laughs> angry about Mason Holgate. But that's OK. That's OK. It's warranted. Um, so let's look at Villa. They've, you know, gotten smoked by Spurs and then lost to Bournemouth. Um, the latter was by two goals, if you do not count the ridiculous .02 expected goal. Score from Douglas Louise in that game against Bournemouth, which made the game end two to one instead of two to one. I have not seen it. Okay, I'll I'll send it to you after we're done. Point point (laughs) zero two uh, xg, not not many. That's uh, if you're not great at math, (laughs) that's you you score on that two times out of a hundred, which means that you don't score on that ninety eight times out of a hundred. And, uh, and, and that's, and that's if you're an average finisher. And, uh, is Douglas Louise an average finisher? I mean, he's a, def- he's a defensive midfielder. So I'm thinking probably not. So anyway, you know, good on him. Probably don't take that shot again. It's not going to go in for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that doesn't seem like it's, uh, you know, that's what we have those stats there for, to tell us not that, that shot doesn't typically go I, in. <laughs> I, th- I think um, is the, the, the technical term, not sustainable. Yes, exactly, exactly. But, I mean, they've spent more money than any other P- Premier League team in, in the entire summer, more than a hundred million pounds, I believe. Are Villa basically the new Fulham, like two weeks into the season? Like, is that possible? Um, for them to have already reached that status? I, I think it's definitely too soon to say, but the fact that we're even talking about it has to be concerning. The big thing for Villa is, you know, at least Fulham brought some of their players up with them who had been in the championship. Villa's entire squad last year, except for like Jack Grealish and John McGinn and a couple others, were, were loanees. And so they had to buy an entirely new team by either making some of those loans permanent or just going out and getting completely new players like their new striker Wesley, like Douglas Louise in the midfield. Um, they spent 
almost 30 million pounds on Tyrone Mings, who couldn't make the bench <laughs> at Bournemouth on a regular basis. It's, uh, I, I'm afraid, I like Aston Villa. I think, you know, they're one of those teams that them being in the Premier League feels right. I don't, that might be because when I first started watching the league, they were in the league and, but they, I'm, they may have a pretty tough time, guys. I, I think that the, the one, um, difference that I would draw between the two teams, last year's Fulham and this year's Aston Villa, um, and it was a, a point that was raised by the, uh, the Villa blogger, um, that Matthew Chandler on our site, um, did a Q&A with, that Villa, at least, I think you kind of get a sense from the pattern and the timing of their purchases, um, that there's at least kind of a plan in place. You know, most of their purchases were were made by mid-July at the latest. Uh, you know, Fulham last year kind of did a few things and then got into, you know, late July and early August and realized, oh, shit, we don't have a Premier League team. Panic bought Alex Mitrovic, Alfie Moffin, Joe Bryan, and Gisa, and then, you know, Babel over the summer, all in the, or over the winter, excuse me, in the last couple of weeks of the season. Uh, and it felt very much like a project that was, um, you know, done on the bus on the way to school because you realized, oh shit, I forgot that was due today. Um, Villa doesn't quite give off that vibe. I, you do feel like there's a little bit more of like, okay, we, we're, we're, we know that we didn't have a Premier League team and we've worked all summer on trying to bring it up now, paying, uh, 11.5 million pounds for Matt Target and 20 million pounds for Tyrone Mings. Are they necessarily good decisions? Eh, maybe not, but it's a plan. It's, it's coherent, at least <laughs> that they've identified, you know, the level of player that they're looking for to try to stabilize themselves at this level instead of just buying any player you can think of and hoping for the best. Well, and, and there's that, and I think Dean Smith has a has a better track record than the the folks managing Fulham last year, which helps. You know, Smith did a good job with, I believe it was Brentford for several years, and so he he understands what it takes. I just the Premier League, you know, it's it may be one of those situations where it takes them a long time to get figured out, and by the time they figure it out, it's too late. Yeah, uh, agreed. I, I think, and I think again, if we're gonna extend the Fulham. Um, analogy as much as, you know, we like to shit on Fulham. And as I said, there were a lot of questionable things that they, they did in their composition of their squad last year. I don't think that you can really argue that on the balance of it, Fulham had a more talented team last year. When you look at guys like, like Sari and Mitro and Sherla and Callum Chambers, um, then Villa has this year, um, there were obviously much bigger issues in terms of squad construction and balance in that Fulham team than, than we see in Villa. But at the end of the day, you're going to need some guys who are going to win you some games, you know, on one end of the field or the either. Um, and I don't, I don't know who that is for Villa yet. Who is, who is Villa's Ryan Babel is really the question <laughs> that we have to ask. <laughs> I don't think anyone. No one in 10 years has ever asked, but who is your Ryan Babel? <laughs> Ryan Babel's mother well, does not want to know who someone else's Ryan Babel is. I mean, could, could any could any of us say where Ryan Babel is playing right now? Did he? I, I can't imagine that he's stuck it at Fulham, right? He had to have moved. He's back at Galta. He's at Galtasaray. Okay. Immediately okay. back to Turkey. Just yeah, okay. That's right back home. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, wait, moving wait, on. Wait, 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 wait. Where, where did Andre Sherlo end up? Let's look. Hold on. I got to know. Oh, oh, so now <laughs> breaking <laughs> a, a shit on 2018-19 Fulham podcast has broken out of this Everton <laughs> podcast. Sorry, right. everyone. So, Sorry. Andre Sherlo, did you realize he is only 28 years old? He's been around forever. No, and he's Literally, at Spartak though. Moscow. Yeah. Which, I mean, Russia is basically just Vladimir Putin's Turkey. So <laughs> it's pretty much the same thing. Uh, Gino, you're going to have to delete that part. Else Adam will <laughs> yeah. <be> Shit, that's <laughs> right. We publish this, don't we? Well, yeah, yeah. If we don't hear from I hope, It's Adam been fun, guys. Uh, <laughs> slander Mason Holgate's name in my absence after I'm gone. 
Uh, <laughs> all right, let's let's slander somebody else. Yeah, let's move let's move on to that and move on to a guy who uh who you know did some pretty bad things the last time. Uh, Someone slanderable. Yeah, Neil <laughs> Taylor broke uh broke Coleman's leg two years ago, which like probably one of the worst tackles you'll ever see. I made the this mistake is their of first... watching that last night. Don't do Dude, that. How, how'd it go? Don't, Don't be do like it. me. Yeah, no. <laughs> okay. I won't so, be so like there. You. There are just some athletic injuries that as soon as they happen, you go, oh, that guy broke his leg. Uh, those are <laughs> never good. If you can immediately tell that someone broke their leg, you probably didn't have a good time getting there. Correct. Yeah, yeah no, not not at all. And, and, you know, Sheamus did not have a good time after this tackle. Broke his leg. This is their first meeting since this uh, this encounter. Uh, you know, since Sheamus has recovered, we've seen, a, you know, him take things pretty seriously when it comes to dangerous tackles on his teammates. You know, one that comes to mind, obviously, Anthony Knockhart on Leighton Baines. Do you think there's any bad blood here uh, as we go into this match between the two? Well, in, in addition to the fact that on the surface, yeah, maybe. Let's also think about this. So Neil Taylor, provided that he plays, um, will probably line up at left back uh, against the right side uh, Everton attack that is Seamus Coleman, a guy whose leg he broke, and Richarlison, who has been known to do stupid things every now and then. Um, (laughs) This could be an interesting one because I could absolutely see Coleman, you know, getting into it a little bit with Taylor and then Richarlison doing Richarlison stuff. And then who knows what'll happen? Well, the other thing is like Richarlison's kind of like a puppy. You know, if he sees the, basically the leader of the team uh, in, in practice and in, in reality, Seamus Coleman getting angry at this guy, who knows what could happen? Uh, yeah. He'd be like, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I want to make, I want to make my captain happy. Let's get it. So, so what we're saying is that if you listen to this before the villa match, put money on a Richarlison red card. <laughs> that sounds oh, like see, so Chris much has fun. a gambling problem. I, I, now he's actually going to go. I, I I just hope that Neil Taylor doesn't break anyone else's legs. If he if he could leave Lucas Dinier alone, that would be swell. It would be really impressive if their left back came all the way across the field to break our <laughs> left back's leg. Don't explain to me <laughs> how the concept of space works, okay? At that point, I might I'm if if he comes all the way across the field to break Luca Dinier's leg, at that point, I'll pretty much just wash my hands of whatever Richarlison does in retaliation. Say, you have my blessing, my child. Go fuck somebody else. <laughs> Based on how they handled Roberto Pereira's diving last week, the one you got to worry about is probably Yeri Mina. Holy crap. Yeah, that's also true. I would not want to have to fight Yeri Mina. That's, no. a, that's a lot of human. <laughs> oh, no, thank you. Yeah, it seems, it seems you know, not ideal that we have a lot of hotheads on our team, <laughs> and um, some who cannot control it. Jordan Pickford's the picture of uh, ha- having a you know calm under pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. If I had to go out to a nightclub in uh, in Newcastle, I would probably start punching people too. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, soon? let's hope nobody gets in any. Let's hope let's hope nobody gets in any trouble this week. Nobody breaks their legs. That would be ideal for everyone involved. But there probably will be some concerns with this match. Other than the fact that if Villa are like Fulham, they will beat us at home. What are other concerns you have about Everton's matchup with Villa? Well, just on a very basic level, the fact that we're unfamiliar with them, we haven't played them in over three years, and they're they might be bad. Those are usually two things that Everton struggle with, no matter who they're being managed by. And I think you know we've we've obviously shit on Villa a lot here, but we also have to give them credit. They scored in in their opening match of the season against Tottenham. They scored an early goal and they pretty much sat deep and said, go ahead, keep the ball. We don't care. We're going to defend deep on you and did a real good job of it for 70 minutes until Spurs brought in Christian Eriksen and kind of he blew the whole thing up. Uh, 
The funny thing about Everton is that they don't have Christian Eriksen. Um, so I could see, a, you know, a world in which Villa again decides, hey, we're going to sit real deep and we're going to say, good luck, try and break us down. Um, and we've seen Everton struggle to, to do that to teams at times. Uh, so that, that would be my major concern going into this one. Yeah, I mean, if you I, look the way, at Villa's heard, last uh, game. I heard Christian Eriksen wants to change teams. You think, uh, okay, sorry, bye. <laughs> no, no, I don't think. <laughs> um, you know, just looking at, at Villa's last game against Bournemouth, obviously, I'm sure the two goals play into this, but they, you know, they did bring some pressure against Bournemouth, you know, 22 shots, seven of them on target, controlled 63% of the possession. Um, you know, so they didn't have a bad game there either, other than, you know, the penalty and Colin. 12 minutes to start the game. Uh, after that, it looks like they settled down a little bit too. So, you know, it'll be an interesting one. I don't think that's one that you can just immediately look over and, and say, okay, Everton definitely have this one in the bag. But if you guys had to make predictions for this one, what would they be? Chris, we'll start with you. Um, I'm going to go 2 nothing Everton. I think that uh, – I think – We'll get a goal from some of the players who are supposed to be scoring goals. No offense to Bernard, but maybe Richarlison or Dominic Calvert-Lewin or Moise Keane break out. And I, I, there's nothing really in the Aston Villa attack uh, that, that concerns me much at all in the form that Everton's defense is in, particularly with Denier being ruled healthy this morning. Um, I'll take Everton 2-1. to one. Uh, Going three matches without conceding a goal is... Is hard. It's a long time, and I just, you know, I, I don't necessarily know what form I think a goal Everton concedes looks like, but I just don't see him throwing three straight clean sheets. Um, but I think that there's definitely enough attack um, against a, a pretty limited Villa side, and we've just talked a lot, obviously, about Neil Taylor and the leg break incident, but the sneaky thing about Neil Taylor is also that he's not very good at football. Um, so I, I think <laughs> I see... Richarlison probably getting off the board here uh, as well, coming up against a, a left back who I just don't think has the ability to keep him contained. Yeah, I mean, I, with all the talk about, you know, I just keep just keeps popping up that Everton's the only team that hasn't conceded in the Premier League yet. It just seems too good to be true that they'll go with another clean sheet, other than the fact that I just can't see them having three clean sheets in a row here to start the season. Uh, so I'm with you, Adam. I think it's two to one, but I, I think we, we win this one and, and, you know, get three points and go top of the table for one day. Ooh. So that's, um, oh, you best uh, believe I'm going to spam Twitter with jokes about that. Don't you worry. <laughs> All right. So what we're saying is that for like the three hours after the match ends tomorrow, you might just want to mute our Twitter account. Correct. We'll yeah. be we'll get better after that, I promise. But it might it might get touch and go for a little bit. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's okay though. It's whatever. <laughs> um, you know, I think one thing we got to mention real quick. Um, Everton played Lincoln City a few days after this game. Anything you guys want to talk about this? No, thank you. Don't lose. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think. It'll it'll be. It's a good opportunity for Fabian Delft to come back. That is one. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, there's there are multiple guys as we've talked about. You know, there's there's some reasonable depth on this team. I think it's good a good opportunity for a guy like Delph, a guy like Sidibe, um, a guy like potentially Leighton Baines, um, to have an opportunity to, to okay <laughs> to have an opportunity to play some games, um, which is good. Uh, I, what I will say is that to get to this point, uh, in the competition, Lincoln City did beat, um, Huddersfield Town 1-0, uh, a couple of weeks ago to get here. Obviously, Huddersfield Town, you know, was not a good Premier League team last year, but they were one. Um, so it's <laughs> not like, you know, they beat up on, you know, Cockfosters FC or whatever ridiculous, yeah. you know, uh, fourth division team that they happen to get matched up with. Um, they've gotten off to a pretty good start to the season, uh, in, in their own league. I don't anticipate any issues, but you know, these are always, especially when you go on the road to these lower division sides, it's always tricky. I don't foresee any major issues, but I don't necessarily expect to walk in the park either. 
Yeah, you know, we'll see how it plays out. Don't see, you know, hopefully it's not hard. <laughs> hopefully, yeah, hopefully it's not hopefully hard. We, yeah, that would be we can all just ha- – it can happen and we can live through it and it'll be the end of it. <laughs> yeah, hopefully for the first time in forever that'll happen. So it's, it's on, we'll see how it all uh, plays out. It's on national out. television, so that's never a good sign. The more exposure uh, we get, the worse they right, play. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Which means tomorrow won't go well either then? Mm, probably not. <laughs> all right, guys. That is it. That's all we got uh, for yeah. today's episode. Um, you know, we hope you guys enjoyed listening. Chris and Adam, thank you guys for joining as always. Um, you know, hopefully Everton win tomorrow, and we'll talk to you guys next week.